Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we begin a new series, Gods at War, with a small g. This week, our teacher is lead pastor David Fossil, who helps us understand the battleground in our lives as we look at the Ten Commandments, especially idolatry. We get a real up-close look at a definition as we consider the words, No other gods before me. It becomes clear that anything or person that means more to us than God is idolatry. Listen as Pastor Dave helps us find some principles to guard our lives from falling prey to putting anything in place of God. Go ahead and grab the study guide that's in your program. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 20 is your turning there. I'm going to read to you a story someone emailed me a while back. It says, uh, uh, there was a lawyer in Charlotte, North Carolina, that had purchased a, a box of very rare and expensive cigars, and then he insured them against fire, among other things. Within a month, within a month, having smoked his entire stockpile of these great cigars, and without yet having even made his first premium payment on the policy, the lawyer filed a claim against the insurance company. In his claim, the lawyer stated that, quote, the cigars were lost in a series of small fires. The insurance company refused to pay, citing the obvious reason that the man had consumed the cigars in the normal fashion, by smoking them. But the lawyer sued, true story, and won. In delivering the ruling, the judge agreed with the insurance company that the claim seemed quite frivolous. The, the judge stated, nevertheless, that the lawyer held a policy from the company in which it had warranted that the cigars were insurable and also guaranteed that it would be insured, they would be insured against fire without defining what is considered to be acceptable fire or not, and therefore was obligated to play the, pay the claim. Rather than endure a lengthy and costly uh, appeal process, the insurance company accepted the ruling and paid him $15,000 for his loss of the rare cigars, uh, uh, the, the rare cigars. Now for the best part of the story. After the lawyer cashed his check, the insurance company had this man arrested for 24 counts of arson. One for each cigar. With his own insurance claim and testimony from the previous case being used against him, the lawyer was convicted of intentionally burning the insured property and was sentenced to either 24 months in jail or paying a $24,000 fine. <laughs> you know, when it comes to following rules, there's four types of people in the world. There's people who are rule followers, right? There are people who just completely disregard the rules and disobey them. Then there's guys like this lawyer who bend and twist the rules to their advantage as much as possible. And, and then there's a fourth group that I want to talk to you about this morning. They're the, they're the ones that are just completely misinformed or misunderstand the rules. Now, when it comes to, to God's rules, I think some of us fall into that last category without, without realizing it very often. We, we are sometimes misinformed or, and or misunderstand some of his rules. Uh, this morning, we, we begin a three-part series called God's at War. And, and they're based upon God's top two rules as are listed in, in, in the Ten Commandments. If, if you're going to pick ten rules, ten commands that are kind of favorites of His or important to Him, they're the Ten Commandments. And the top two, uh, I, I think very often we as Christ followers and people who want to please God, we're, 
we're kind of misinformed. We kind of misunderstand what's going on, why it matters, and, and what we need to do about it. I'm going to put the verses up on the screen, but I always uh, encourage you to follow along in your own Bible, maybe make little notations. But as Exodus chapter 20 begins, verse 1, here's what we read. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have, here it comes, rule number one, command number one. You know other gods, notice small g, before me. Now, it's important to understand that in the Hebrew language that those last two words, it, it, it doesn't mean it kind of, kind of it, I'm number one, but it's okay if you have a number two God, a number three God, a number four God. He's not saying I want to be top God. He's saying I want to be the only God. It's very important that you understand that, right? Uh, literally, that, that, that Hebrew there means you will have no other gods in my presence. Now, I think some of the misunderstanding for us is that the way we think of gods is only in religious terms, right? Um, now, I'm going to explain it by pointing out that God also mentions the context, it's what's, what is also underlined on the screen. He reminds them, by the way, I'm to be your only God, no other gods before me. And he's speaking to a people that he brought out of Egypt. Now, you have to remember, he speaks to a group of people, the Jewish people right now, that they already believe in Yahweh God, as he is named in the Old Testament. They've got bumper stickers on their chariots that says Yahweh's number one. Okay? But, but the problem with the Jewish people is that they would follow, worship, and obey Yahweh God unless at some point in time he didn't come through for them the way they wanted. So, for example, we worship Yahweh God uh, unless my crops need more water, and so then I'm going to pray to the God of the rain. I worship Yahweh God unless my wife and I were having a difficult time getting pregnant, and then I'm going to pray to the fertility God. I worship Yahweh God unless I'm on vacation and the opposite of the first one. Now it's raining and I'm at the beach. Now I'm going to pray to the sun God. So if we're going to do this, says God of the Bible, I can't have you have any other gods before me. I don't want to be top God. I want to be the only God. That's the only way this is going to work. Okay. Now, once we so okay, I got that. Once we go there. It's amazing to me how many of us just skip commandment number two. I mean, we don't literally skip it, but we read it and we're like, I don't have a problem with that. Let's get right to number three. Let me show you why. Here's commandment number two, verse four. He says, you must not make for yourself an idol. No idols or any kind of image or anything in the heavens on on earth or on sea. Okay, I can skip that one, right? We can skip it. I've been to your homes, many of your homes. You don't have a little idol, a carved statue on your mantle in the living room that you bow down to, right? You don't do that. I don't do that. So we're good. Let's move right on, right? Now, occasionally, like uh, just this past week, Sandy and I were at an Indian restaurant, and right in the lobby entryway, they had a little statue of of an Indian god. Uh, If you go to a Chinese restaurant, have you ever seen uh, some Chinese restaurants? They have a little statue of a Buddha. But again, okay, they're going to do that. But I don't, I don't bow to the Buddha before I order my Kung Pao chicken. So I'm good, right? One small problem is that many very respected theologians are saying, don't, don't, not, not so quick, not so quick. Sandy and I, my wife and I, we, we attended and graduated from a school in Michigan called Calvin College. John Calvin was a very famous reformer. And, and John Calvin says this. Let me show you. 
Every single one of us, even from our mother's womb, is a master craftsman of idols. Before there was Billy Graham, before there was Rick Warren, the greatest American preacher was a guy by the name of Dwight Moody. Great school in Chicago named after him. Here's what Dwight Moody says. You don't have to go to heathen or foreign lands to find false gods and idols. America is full of them. And then a pastor in Carolina um, by the name of Kyle Eidelman uh, that wrote a book that this series is based upon says this. Idolatry is the number one issue in the Bible. Idolatry isn't just one of many sins. Rather, it's the one great sin that all others come from. Time out. What, 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 what are you missing? I mean, we don't have an idol. We don't have a carved statue in our living room. We're not bowing down to these. So what's the problem? What are we missing? Well, let me, let me start to, to, to scratch the surface and explain what's happening by, by reading what Paul says in the book of Colossians. He writes the church of Colossae, and he says, So put to death sinful, earthly uh, things lurking within. You have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Okay, that makes sense. I've read that other places. And then he adds this. Here it comes. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life, for that is idolatry. You see, the misunderstanding that so many of us have when it comes to uh, having other gods before him or idolatry is we think about it only in religious terms and and we assume that the word idol literally means carved statue that I bow down to. And and what the Bible tries to explain and what some of these theologians are trying to tell us and kind of rattle us a little bit and go, it's so much more. In fact, it may be the most significant thing you will ever deal with in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, what I'm going to do, if, if you're drawing down notes, and I don't care if you write it down or not, but you've got to nail it down in your brain. What does it mean to have an idol? What is idolatry? I'm going to give you all kinds of examples and, and suggestions. You write down whatever you want if you're taking notes. But let me show you. Let's put this next slide up there. Idolatry is anytime I value something or someone more than I value God. Idolatry is anytime I love something more than I love God. If you're going to write something down, write one of those two down. Idolatry is anytime I sacrifice something that could be my time, that could be my money, that could be emotionally and, and, and how I feel. Anytime I'm willing to sacrifice for something or someone more than I'm willing to sacrifice for God. Idolatry is anytime I pursue something, I go after it, I chase after it, I commit to it more than I'm willing to commit and pursue God. Anytime I give myself to something more than I'm willing to give to God, that is, by biblical definition, idolatry. Now, over the course of these three weeks, I'm going to try and give you some suggestions of what that looks like and what that means. But just to kind of throw out some ideas and throw out some suggestions, this could be our home or our car. Some of us give more attention to to those things than we give to God. It could be a person, someone we very much so care about, like our spouse or our kids. Now, God wants us to be great parents. He wants us to be a good spouse. But he draws attention to the fact the minute you start to love a person, even if it's your spouse or your kids, more than you love me, uh, let's just call it what it is. That is by very definition, idolatry. You have literally made of that person a God, small g. That's where he's going with this. It could be your favorite sports team. You guys know I'm a sports fan. I love almost every sport, right? You know what? The Chicago Cubs could become a god and an idol to me. 
Thank you. It looks like the Holy Spirit's moving right around here to someone. Have you ever met? Have you ever met someone? How you doing? I'm not doing too good. What's wrong? What happened? My team lost yesterday. Really? That's where we're you're going to be controlled emotionally by how your Raiders, your Niners, your Giants, your A's, your whatever your favorite team is. We're going to go there. It could be a sports team. If you are valuing it, if you are paying more attention to it, if you love it more than you love and pay attention and care about God, it is by biblical definition an idol. It is a a God, small g, in your life. It, It could be your favorite hobby. It could be money. It could be power. It could be fantasy football. You guys with me? Come on, guys. These last three months, be honest. What did you pursue more? What were you interested in more? Your fantasy lineup or God's lineup in your life? Is there anything wrong with fantasy football? No. I'm just saying, what do you love more? What do you value more? What do you pursue more? That's the issue. You know what? It could be this. Oh, come on, Dave. Now you're taking it too far. Some of us, we forget this sucker at home and we go crazy. Be honest. Be honest. Do you love and value this? Do you love and value social media more than you love and value God? Think about it. It could be a boy band. It could be competitive sports. It can be education and getting good grades. Here's my point. It can be anything. It can be good things that you've allowed to creep into your life and take the position that rightfully only belong to God. I'm not talking about bad things. I'm talking about good things that you allow to creep into your life and take the position that only belongs to God. That's the issue. Now, he goes, it's interesting to me. Have you ever seen the posters of the Ten Commandments? We had it in Sunday school class with the kids and all that fun stuff. He he makes these commands, no other gods before me, no idols. And then we skip the explanation. We don't even put it on on, on the poster. This is what we skip. Check it out. Let's put it up there. He goes on to explain... Why commandment number one and two are so important to him. No gods before me, no gods instead of me, no idols. And he explains why he starts out and he says, by the way, I don't want you to worship or bow down to them. I don't want you to worship them. Just to time out little tangent. Why does God want you to worship him and praise him? You ever wondered that? Why does the almighty God creator of the universe suggest, ask, need, want us to worship and praise him. And by the way, it's not just us humans. It's, it's in heaven, angels as well. I, I don't know how it works. I'm going to be a little facetious, but uh, how, how does this work? You know, breakfast time, you know, he's like, oh, before you guys go to the buffet line, let's gather around. Let's have a little praise and worship time. Uh, why don't you guys, the angels, why don't you guys sing? Let, let's do some singing about how, how, you know, my, 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 how smart I am. I like those songs. Go ahead. Why don't we sing two of those and we go to the buffet line. How about you guys? Sunday morning church. Okay. So the second half of the, of the service Dave can do is a little thing is Bible lesson. And hopefully that's helpful for you guys. But the whole first half of the service, what I'm going to need you guys to do, says God Almighty, is I need you to get together. I need you to sing some songs about how awesome I am, about how great I am, right? How about how smart I am, right? I need you guys to do that, really. Go, go. Uh, what's going on here? I mean, does he have a low self-image? What's going on? 
there's a, there's a philosopher by the name of Frederick Nietzsche that says, I cannot and will not believe in a God who wants me to constantly praise him all the time. How many, how many of you would like to know why, why, why is he, te- it's not a suggestion, by the way, it's a command. How many of you would like to know by show of hands, why he wants you to worship and praise him? Show of hands. Okay, very good. You're going to have to come back next week. I don't have time today. There you go. A new preaching style. I'm just going to whet your appetite. I'm serious. I don't have time to cover it. Let's go on. I will answer that next week. You think about it. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And then he gives the reasons for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. What? For those who hate me, but I'm going to show love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. So now what he does here, and I've highlighted it for you, is he tries to explain why I don't want you to have any other gods. I don't want you to have any idols. I don't want you to value. I don't want you to love. I don't want you to pursue anything else more than you love, pursue, and value me. Why? Two reasons. Let me show you. The first has to do with his character. His character demands it. Now, when we talk about the character of God, we talk about his strength. We talk about his omnipotence. We talk about his uh, uh, um, uh, his holiness. We just sang a song about that. We talk about his love and we talk about his mercy. When's the last time we sang a song, heard a sermon about the jealousy of God? You know, our English word jealousy, it's kind of, that seems pretty petty. Seems kind of immature. It feels like junior high girls that both like the same guy. And, you know, when the boy looks at one or talks to the other, they get jealous. I mean, what the heck is going on here? He self-identifies himself. I am... A jealous God. What's going on here? Uh, I'm going to tell you an example, an illustration, a fictitious example. Um, And um, if I do it correctly, I actually talked to Sandy about this, um, about telling you this, because if I do it correctly, uh, in about 60 seconds, we're all going to be and feel incredibly uncomfortable and awkward. So I'm telling you in advance where I'm going with it, but I'm trying to help you understand what's going on here. Okay, so here we go. We, um, you go out to a very nice dinner and you got to take 10, 15 minutes before they seat you. And as you're being seated, oh my goodness, the pastor's there. You see me there sitting at a table, but then you realize that I am having a nice romantic candlelight dinner with someone other than my wife, Sandy, another woman. And as you walk by, you're like, uh, pastor, what, what the... What's happening here? Who, who's this? And I introduce you to who she is. And, and, uh, and you're like, well, where's Sandy? Oh, Sandy's at home. I, I love her very much. I love her more than anyone else, you know. Uh, but I've taken her out on lots and lots of dates. And tonight I'm, I'm with her, you know. Right? You're laughing because it's awkward, isn't it? Right? And you're like, oh, okay, well, enjoy your dinner. You go back and you sit down. Be honest. That would be the topic of conversation for quite a while, wouldn't it? And you would start to say, you know what, maybe, maybe we need to find another church. What the heck? No, we're not finding another church. I know what we do. Bay Hill's going to find another pastor. And wouldn't that be the most appropriate thing to do? Honestly, it would. Uh, do, you, do you think w- what would happen uh, when I go home? Sandin, Sandy welcomes me at the front door. and She says, hi, honey. How was your date? You think she'd ever do that? See, now many of you know Sandy. Those of you who don't, she seems very reserved, very quiet, very dignified, very professional, very calm, very controlled. She'd go crazy on me. You know this is a fictitious story because that would never happen, would it? Okay, now, 
here comes what really is awkward. Put yourself in her shoes. What would you do? How would you feel? First service, we had a couple actual spouses that turned their neck after. I would kill you. It's just a story. But for a second, try and put yourself in that situation. How would you feel? You'd feel angry, wouldn't you? And as well, you should. You would feel hurt as well. You should. Do you know why? Because you're jealous in a good way. You want to know what a healthy marriage sounds like? This is a healthy marriage. I love you so much. I want you all to myself. I don't want to share you with anyone else. That's a healthy marriage. And that's exactly what God says to you. I love you so much. I don't want you going out on any other dates with another God. Does that make sense? We think of the word jealousy as a, as a we use it in a bad way in our, in our language. But as it's used here, it's a positive character trait of God and how he feels for you. The second one is interesting. Whether or not you have other gods or idols in your life, it has an impact on your family's future. It's very interesting because what God says is depending on what you decide in this area, whether you have me as your, your, your main and only God or whether you have other gods, other interests, other idols that take my place every once in a while, what, what you decide will impact your kids. I will either punish them or I will lavish them with love. Now, what you need to understand is this is a principle, not a formula. He's not literally saying that if I disobey God, he's going to get Joshua, Jessica, and Julia. He's not saying that literally. Here's what he's saying is I, as a dad, I, as a father, how I live my life, what matters to me, what I value, what I sacrifice for, what I pursue, all these things, who I am as a person, guess what happens? It spills over into the life of my kids. I influence them. And the reality is, even if you think of yourself, a lot of the things we do is because we inherited them from our parents. Even simple things like, what do you do for vacation? Well, I do what I did growing up. It's what I like to do. How I live not only impacts me and God's relationship with me, but it will have an impact for generations to come. I don't want you to have any other idols. I don't want you to pursue something, love something, value something more than you love, pursue and value me. And if you do, by very definition, it's an idol. What I'm going to try and do over these next three weeks, because I realize the first half of what we're talking about here, it's kind of theory. The best way for you and I to get this is I need to give you examples. I'm going to be pretty upfront with you and tell you idols that I've struggled with in my life over over the years. Uh, And I just I'm not trying to jack you up. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to help you. And I just need you for the next 12 to 15 minutes as we go through a couple idols. You just be honest. Is it possible that I could be struggling with these? I'm going to try and organize it and arrange it just to try help you remember this way. So if you put it up on the screen, Larry, I'm going to talk about three different temples, the temple of power. And at that temple, there's several gods that live there. And we'll talk about it one week. The temple of pleasure, there are a couple gods that live there. And then the temple of love. There's several gods that live there. Today, we're going to talk about that middle one and three gods that live in that middle one. So let's put the next slide up there. Uh, I think on the backside of your, your study guide, I, what's the temple of pleasure? This is when we pursue fun for, for all in any way. 
in all its forms. And so at the temple of pleasure, the God of entertainment lives there, the God of sex lives there, and the God of food and drink lives there. Now, let me just say, and I'm going to say it every week, and I'm going to say it every time that we talk about this. What's in red is not necessarily bad or evil. In fact, it can be very good. Entertainment, sex, food, and drink. The problem is when you add the word God. The problem is when you and I start to value it, love it, pursue it, care about it more than we do about God, now it's a problem. Does that make sense? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through each one of these. I just want you to be honest with you. You figure out for yourself, have I allowed any one of these to become more important to me, more valuable to me than God, than Jesus? So let's talk about the first one. The first one, I'm going to give you a little scenario, and I think it'll make sense uh, because there's a lot of things that I could talk about here. Here's the scenario. I want you to imagine that every Sunday morning at 7 a.m., there are people right outside those doors lined up into the parking lot waiting for waiting to get in. And you're like, but the service doesn't start till nine. I know, but they are so excited to come to church. They're lined up waiting. And you go, well, when they get here, all they get to do is just kind of watch the worship team practice. I know, but that's fine. We love watching the worship team practice, right? And so they're lined up waiting to go. So they come in. By the way, the reason they want to get in first is they want the front row. They want to sit as close as they can to the action as possible, right? And, and, and so they so they go to church, and of course, um, they they uh, when they're done with church, right? They talk about it amongst their friends and what happened. They just love it. By the way, there is no weather that stops them from coming. A little bit of rain, maybe it's snowing. I don't care. I'm going to church, right? They will change their schedule to make sure they're at church. We're going camping for the weekend. We'll go till Saturday night. We'll come back so we can be at church. When they go home, they watch a TV show called Church Center that replays highlights of the service and the best parts of the sermon and this worship time, right? Then a couple of the friends get together and they do fantasy church and they pick different staff members and different Bible characters and they have stats of everybody to see who wins, right? Every once in a while, there's a bunch of young adult guys that show up to church. They're not wearing any shirt. But no one cares about that because they all have a letter on their chest, right? And during offering time, they stand up and they turn to the congregation and they spell out, we love to tithe, and the church goes crazy. They love it, right? Now, one of the things that also happens at church is that, and now I'm going to need your help here. When I point at you, I'm going to need everybody at the same time to go, oh, so let's practice. Okay, so when the pastor is preaching right at the end, when he says, in conclusion, everybody does, yeah, they don't like that at all. They want the sermon to go into overtime because they're loving it so much. So you know where I'm going with this, right? I think I made my point, right? There's a professor at the University of Penn State. His name is Charles Prebish, and he is quoted as saying, America's newest and fastest growing religion is sports. I'm just asking you the question, and this is coming from someone who's a fanatic about a lot of sports. Do you value, do you love, do you pursue your favorite team more than your God? Because you see how you answer that begins to explain or define whether or not it's possibly an idol in your life. Okay, I get where you're going, Pastor, but thank goodness we don't live in those countries or we're not like those people, like places like India. If you've ever been to India, I mean, they literally 
have an idol and a statue in their living room. They will take every single chair and face it to the idol to make sure it's faced perfectly at the idol. Thank goodness we don't do that. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Have you ever looked at your living room? Do you know what we do with most of the chairs in our living room? We arrange them perfectly so they're all faced our 50-inch flat-screen TV. Is there anything wrong with watching TV? Oh, no, I have my shows that I watch. I love my shows. But let's just be honest. It comes across as a little bit disingenuous when we might say, yeah, sorry, Pastor, I don't have time for youth group. Don't have time for small group. Don't have time for Bible study. Don't have time for prayer. I mean, if I do it, it's kind of like a snack prayer real quick, right? I don't have time for that. But then the average American spends four hours and 51 minutes watching TV every day. So I'm just asking you, you figure it out. Has that become more valuable to you? Your favorite show, is it more valuable to to you than your time with God? See, my job is to ask you the difficult, uncomfortable question. But idolatry is an issue for so many of us. Now, just to make sure we're not getting legalistic, because we don't want to go there. So so many of us grew up in churches like this. Let me just make sure you understand how God feels about our entertainment. Let me show you this verse real quick. Let's put it up there. uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all of this. What is he talking about there? He's talking about sports and he's talking about plays and he's talking about fantasy football. He's talking about TV and he's talking about your hobbies, whatever you like to do for fun, whatever entertain you. He gives all this for your enjoyment. All those things aren't wrong. They're not bad. He gives them to you for your enjoyment. But but before I move on, here's the question I have for you. And and if you answer it honestly, it'll begin to answer the question for you. Are these things an idol in my life? Have I allowed them to become God's small g? And I'm going to ask it in the form of a question. Let me show you. Let's put it up on the screen. What would bother you more? Your cable TV goes out for a month. Your Facebook, Instagram, Internet crashes for a month. Your favorite sports team cancels games for a month or your church closes for a month. Now, I know what you, you and I are supposed to say, but be honest. What would bother you most? Hey, I'm a Warriors fan, but what would you and I think if, he, if the owner stood up tomorrow morning and said, <clears throat> the dubs, we, we've decided to cancel games for the next month. We're going to forfeit all our games. We'll see you in March. See ya. How would you feel? See, I heard the baby doesn't feel very good about that. That is for sure. <laughs> that was perfect timing. I think the parent pinched them right now. You got to figure it out for you. I know I've wrestled with a couple things. Let's talk about the next one. Oh, the next one's fun to talk about in church. Let's go ahead and put it up there. Yeah, let's talk about the God of sex. That's always fun. Again, to be clear, God gives this as a Madonna didn't invent sex. God invented sex. Okay, so let's just get that out of the way and make sure we understand that. I've given you a verse. I can't read them all. Proverbs 5. I had a boatload of verses God gives sex to a husband and wife to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. You know that, right? Um, but w- w- why, why has this become potentially an issue for us? Well, the other verse I've given you, 2 Samuel 13, talks about a guy by the name of Amnon. It says Amnon was obsessed with sexual fulfillment, obsessed with it. And people start to think, is that what we've become as a culture, obsessed? 
He is so obsessed, he rapes his sister. I would think that qualifies as I'm obsessed. It's hard not to conclude that we are a culture obsessed with sex and sexual fulfillment uh, when, when the porn industry last year grossed more than pro basketball, pro baseball, and pro football combined. Porn made more money than ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox combined. Let me try and explain to you what I think is going on here. Let's, let's assume some parents, they have a kid and, and the kid really wants an Expo, Xbox 4 or the virtually, virtual reality console or whatever. They want a, a new game, right? And it's expensive. It's expensive, but the parents are like, we love them. Let's get it for them. So they buy this, the Xbox 4 for the kid, right? You know, he's so excited. He takes it to his room and he's playing with the Xbox 4 and he just loves it, loves it, right? Later on, uh, 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 and then maybe a day later, mom or dad comes to the door of the room and say, hey, hey, we need to talk to you real quick. And, and the kid's like, sorry, I can't talk right now. No, I'm, pl- I'm playing with a guy in Germany right now, and I can't talk right now. I'm doing my thing, right? Later on in the week, dad comes by and he says, hey, let's go. Family's going out for dinner. And the kid's like, I don't want to go. I want to keep playing my game. You bring me back a burrito. I'm good to go. I'm going to keep playing. What's happened? What happened is that the gift has become more important than the giver. And the same thing has happened with sexual fulfillment. The gift was given to us, and we have made the gift more important and significant than the giver. If your number one complaint about your spouse is always sexual fulfillment, you might not need to think bullet point number two. At least think about it. I think it's important as, as husband and wife to talk about that and to try and improve in that area. Just like conflict and communication and parenting, it's an important component of a married relationship. Uh, but we got to be careful that we don't make it and value it more than we value God. That's the point. Let's talk about the last one. The God of food and drink. And let me jump right into the verses to show you the distinction. Ecclesiastes, eat your food with joy. Drink your wine with a happy heart. God, when, when you go out to dinner at Denny's, he wants you to... Now, let's use a different example. When you go out, okay, pick your favorite restaurant. Let's use some of our own, right? Saros, when you go to Saros Mexican restaurant, he's right over there. When you go to the powder keg in, in Hercules, your favorite restaurant, guess what God wants you to do? Enjoy your food. You know why he gave you taste buds? Because he wants you to enjoy your food. When you read the Bible, there's a lot said in Scripture about Christian fellowship. You know what Christians are almost always doing when they're having fellowship? Eating. Because done properly, it's not necessarily in front of the TV. That's not the end of the world, or if you want to do that. But it's, it's dialoguing and having conversation with friends and family members. He wants you to enjoy it. And this for sure, you know, we're not in a Baptist church. He wants you to drink your wine with a happy heart. You go to Chevy's and you can have a margarita and you can enjoy it. But here's the problem. It's what he says in Philippians. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. There's a kid's movie. Let's show him the image, Larry. I don't know if you ever watched this movie. Over the Hedge. 
It's about a bunch of animals and they're kind of in over the hedge or in the forest and they get to the edge and they start looking at the humans. And you know what their conclusion is? Their conclusion is that we are obsessed with food. That's their conclusion. That we are bottomless pits of food. They literally have a little dialogue amongst them. And here's what they say. We eat to live, but they live to eat. They point to the kitchen table and they say that's where humans go to worship their food. Then they point to the treadmill and they say that's where they go to get rid of guilt so that they can eat more food, food, food. (laughs) I don't know. About a week ago, I was in, in my room and I was putting my jeans on. Right. And have you guys ever people that have like go on diets, they have what they call a cheat day. Have you heard of this? A cheat day where you're kind of allowed to do and eat whatever you want that day or that meal. Right. Well, for me, December is a cheat month. I do. I love all everything. Christmas food, cookies, those butter cookies. I like the peppermint candies that Geodelis does. I like eggnog. I love egg. Eggnog is really healthy for you. Did you know that? (laughs) But I love it. Right. So I know. We go into it and say, we're going to enjoy it. We're not going to be pigs. We're going to enjoy it. And then January, February hits, and we're going to get back at it and get back in shape and eat a little more healthy and all that fun stuff, right? Well, there I am back in my, in my room. Uh, I just showered. I'm putting my jeans on, right? I could not get them on. I was like, I was trying to get them on. I know this is not the image you want, but I was trying to get them on. It took me 10 seconds. You know what I realized? They were Sandy's jeans. <laughs> And you probably don't want to think of your husband, your, your pastor wearing fa- women's clothing, but that's a different issue. I was like, thank goodness. I thought I'd really pigged out in December, right? <laughs> Whew. Okay, we laughed a little bit, now a little more serious. Did you know that 60% of Americans were overweight? Now, it doesn't automatically mean we've made God, uh, a food, our God. But for some of us, it could. For some of us, it could. The scale doesn't tell all the story. Maybe it could be we lack self-discipline. The, the, I wrote that this is a very interesting statistic. A hundred years ago, the average American ate five pounds of sugar a year. Today, the average American eats three pounds of sugar a week. By the way, if you're new to the church, we want to invite you in between services to join us for donuts. We'd love to have you hang on. Maybe it's self-discipline. By the way, those of you who are thin as a rail, this could still be an issue for you. You just might have a super high metabolism. Or maybe you're exercising like crazy on a diet like crazy. You can backdoor this any way you want. Let me ask you a couple questions to help you figure out if the God of food and drink is an issue for you. Whether you refer to it this way or not, here's the question. When you call it comfort food, Are you really trying to bring comfort to your soul through what you eat? Think about that. Let's talk about drinking for a moment. By the way, did you hear about the conservative pastor down south? This is years ago, and he was preaching to his church about against drinking, against alcohol. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to take all the beer that you have and throw it in the river. And all God's people said, help me out. I want you to take all your wine and throw it in the river. And all God's people said, I want you to take all your whiskey and throw it in the river. And all God's people said, and he sat down. The song leader came up. He says, we're going to conclude our service by singing the hymn. Let us all gather down by the river. (laughs) 
And everyone said, Amen. So here's the question. Be honest with yourself. Why do you drink alcohol? Why do you drink alcohol? How much do you drink? Are you really drinking to drown your sorrows? Are you? Is alcohol your primary form of stress relief? Because if it is, you need to take a hard look at this. When you're having pizza, is it a couple beers or is it a six pack? Is it a glass or two of wine or is it a bottle or two of wine? See, it's really easy for me to be legalistic and just like the pastor story, tell you to throw out all your wine and your liquor. It's just not biblical. What's biblical is you thinking through, have I allowed food and or have I allowed drink to become more valuable to me than obedience to God? Do I pursue it more than I pursue my obedience to God? I'm going to have Terrence come up and we're going to kind of wrap up here in a second. But I see here's here's the temptation. Some of us, the temptation is to say, come on, Dave. I mean, some of it I get, but it seems like we're making a big deal out of nothing. And I'd like to say, no, actually not. I think the mistake we've made is we've made nothing out of what, in fact, the Bible says is a very big deal. We have valued and we have loved and we have pursued things more than God. And that, my friends, is idolatry. That is having other gods small g in your life. I'm going to conclude with the definition. Let's put it up on the screen. You figure it out. We talked about three today. What three or other gods potentially do you have in your life? What other idols do you have in your life that you value more and love more and sacrifice for more and pursue more? It's not that God is saying, I need you to get rid of them. What he's saying is you will have no other idols before me. If we're going to do this thing, you will have no other gods in my presence. I'm your only God. What's the point of this morning? This is the point. Here's the conclusion. Let's put it up there. I want you to identify your idols and your gods. Even if I didn't mention yours, you're smart enough to figure it out. Is there something I love and value more than God? Number two, confess it. I'm going to give you a moment here at the end. We're not going to have a song. We're going to have about a minute of you talking to God and basically saying, God, I, I, think, I think I got it. I didn't realize it coming in here this morning, but I've put other things before you. I valued them and loved them more than I value you, and I'm sorry. And the last one is to redirect your love and your commitment to God. Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we're going to keep that one slide up on the screen. And I want you to do those three things. Take a moment to identify whatever idols you have in your life. Confess it to God. And renew your commitment to Him as the only God in your life.
Why don't you guys stand with me and I'll close this out in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're here today, honestly, God, because we love you and we love your son, Jesus. I I guess, Father, we hadn't thought that much about commandment one and commandment two, what it meant and how potentially it's the biggest issue in our lives. Allowing other things by accident, we didn't do it on purpose, God, but other things that are good and fun to slide into our life and to take a place that is only rightfully yours. Father, we confess before you that we've been wrong in certain areas. We, we, we confess that we have overvalued certain things in our life and undervalued you. Father, we're, we're going to get it right. This week, Father, was, was step number one in us finally understanding what really is going on in these commandments and the first couple examples of what maybe we've allowed to become an idol in our life. We're not going to do that anymore, Father. We, we, we redirect our commitment and our worship to you. And we proclaim that you and only you are God in our life. We love you. We praise you for who you are. And the reminder that this isn't just for your benefit. It more than anything else is for our benefit. We love you. We pray this all and all God's people say. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.